welcome to another episode of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Recknell, and I am so excited to have Dr. Sharon Jones here with us today. Good afternoon, Sharon. Hi. So excited to have you here. Um, I have just loved getting to know you, and I feel like we're on the at the very beginning of a pretty cool journey of um, personal and professional relationship and connection. So um, yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So uh, Dr. Sharon is the founder and CEO of The Dot. The Dot is a consulting and nonprofit foundation called the Dottie Rose Foundation. Sharon leads and implements technology-focused education and innovation. Dr. Jones has found her passion in education and has served as a computer science expert for the past 20 years, bridging the gap between our everyday actions and the application of technology. Dr. Jones is a highly sought after and national award-winning computer science educator in the public school system and also does corporate training. She's presented and been published nationally and internationally on data analytics, educational practices, and technology. She has a book called A Recipe for Success Using SAS University, How to Plan Your First Analytics Project, which hopefully most of you understood, and is this book is being used in curriculum and classroom across the country. When she's not running the technology world, Dr. Jones spends her time with her husband, Ricky, and her two sons, Ethan and Dylan, and their beloved dog, Cooper. Amazing. Oh, man. So freaking cool. I mean, to be a woman in technology, to run a foundation related to it, to get to inspire and educate teachers and kids, um, with technology. I mean, how cool, how future focused it's, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. That's just the best way to put it. I wake up every day and I'm very grateful for the the opportunities that I have and that I've, the work that I've been able to do and, and continue to be able to do. Yeah, very, very cool. So I know that hope has played a huge role in your career and why you chose this career. And I know that it's also something that you um, consciously or unconsciously, uh, a tool you use in your work to help with, uh, yeah, to, to help with the education. So could you tell us a little bit more about how you use hope to motivate action? You know, that's a really exciting question to ask because really until I had met you, I hadn't thought about it in a structured manner about how at the core hope is what drives so much of what we do. You know, without the hope there is, I don't know what there is, but I've been thinking about this question quite a bit since we, you know, in prepping for, for being together on the show today. And really what I want to say is that, you know, education to me is the, is the, the great equalizer. When we have exposure and we're able to continue to learn and grow and change, it is what can, what really brings us all together. So I find the hope in the continuous work and celebration of education. And the other piece to that I say is It's not necessarily, when I say the word education, it doesn't mean that it has to be in a classroom with 20 other people with four walls and a door. Education is all around us. It's going and learning a new pop-up skill. It's going, uh, watching something, you know, my favorite thing to do is to watch a great cooking show. You know, it could be, you could watch Food Network and learn how to, a a new recipe that you want to try. All of that is education and it's continued growth. And that gives me hope. 
but we have lots of different ways that we can continue to develop and evolve as individuals. Yes, I we could not be more aligned on that particular <laughs> point. Um, <laughs> I have to say that, you know, when people ask me for my biography, I joke that it could say she was born, she learned to read, she did things with that knowledge, and someday she will die. <laughs> you know, just yeah. like continuous learning and education. I love what you say about how it's how it's the great equalizer. There is so much within our control when it comes to the knowledge we seek and nobody can take that away from us. Um, I love that. That's yeah. The great equalizer. Amazing. So, so good. You know, I mean, you think about this piece. Well, education is a right in our country. Everyone has the right to an education and no matter how you receive that education, you have the opportunity and that's incredible. That's an incredible piece that we have as, as Americans. But in addition to that, that's what I would consider structured education where you're going in and it's a classroom. It's a, you know, it's school. But like you said, there, we have so much around us that we can also leverage as educational pieces. And you and I've had this conversation previous to being recording today, but just about our career journeys and how we have gone zigzagging around and we've used experience and, and those experiences to grow in our careers. And that is all a part of education. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's that journey, right? It's that growth, uh, Mm -hmm. the knowledge and learning to get you where to, to the next step, to get you along the path to that crooked journey. You're totally right. Um, so speaking of your education, what made you choose computer science? It shows me, (laughs) you know, I did not, I, I grew up in the 90s and I did not have access to technology. I mean, I really can tell you sitting, I remember sitting in the living room floor and a commercial came up. I'm I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So the Carolina Panthers were our football team that was just coming to be here in, in Charlotte. And they put up a web address. It was a commercial on TV and it says, visit us at carolinapanthers.com or whatever it was at that point. And I remember thinking, what? is that, you know, and that was in the early nineties, you know? So when I went off to college and I I got my first email address and I figured out what the heck PowerPoint was and all those good things, it just sort of chose me. It was a way that I found it was really exciting. It was a way to communicate that I had not known was out there. And I've sort of tripped over myself the whole way. I'm I'm a self-taught technologist. I'm went to earn my master's in education. And I decided that I wasn't, I didn't really fit in the box of English or math or science. I I wasn't, I definitely was not an elementary school teacher. Any educator can tell you that when you're thinking about being in the role of a teacher, that you, you, there's a big distinction of whether you want to work with the, with the younger, the younger folks, or if you like to have a little bit of the older folks. (laughs) And I was definitely of the latter. I didn't, wasn't really crazy about being elementary. And so, and I didn't fit into the proper box. And I thought, you know, let's try business and marketing. That was what's considered career and technical education. And yeah, I took my first programming class and I was able to get the light bulb to turn on and off. And I felt so excited. I ran up and down the steps. I, I said every explicit under the sun. And I was like, I did that. I did that, right? You know, I told the computer to turn that light bulb on and off and it was just so cool. And yeah, just from there, just developing 
my skill set. The confidence that that must have like instilled in you. And I wish, again, I wish that we recorded these as videos because I, you should see Dr. Sharon dancing when <laughs> with her excitement. Like I can, you know, imagine that little girl who figured out how to turn the light bulb on. And that must be what it's like for your summer program, your kids' summer programming. Um, mm. That must be what they get out of it. Yes. You know, here's the piece. Learning is exciting. Learning is a part of who we are. I mean, it's just, we like to learn new things, whether we believe that or not. I mean, every time you get on YouTube, you're searching for something, right? It could be a song. It could be a how-to video. It could, you know, my six-year-old son, he's obsessed with watching Minecraft videos. But what's so cool about it is he watches the video and then I'm watching him implement it on Minecraft. I'm like, that's so neat. You know, um, so for our summer programming, we focus a lot. So my nonprofit is called Dottie Rose Foundation and, and we support middle school girls in computer science because I want them to see themselves in technology. And it doesn't mean that each one of them has to be a technologist or a computer scientist when they grow up. They just need to have the confidence and the skills that they know they can be. And however they choose to use that or implement is their choice. But it's we thrive on relating those everyday activities into the classroom or into our camps, into what we're doing that elevates computer science. So we talk about fashion, we talk about music, we talk about, we're going to do a whole, a camp this year on um, agriculture and flowers because I love fresh flowers. Personally, it's just because I'm like, let's learn more, right? But we're going to add the technical components to it. And we're going to talk so much about how agriculture is so mathematically driven with this power of technology that makes it even cooler, right? So we're going to do that. And then we're going to do a maker collective where the girls get to make their own 3D apps using virtual reality. There's just lots of cool things. They just have to see it. And let me be honest with you. I don't know all of the things. So a lot of times I learn with them. You know, I bring in experts to help us and I'm like, all right, I'm just, I want to sit here while they're talking too. Fun and so hopeful. <laughs> it is. Well, I keep telling one of the things that I've said over the years is as much as I love education, there is a there is a there is a dark side of education where it has become very much of right or wrong, yes or no. And it needs to be a very quantitative, evaluative way in which we look at things. So sometimes our kids get indoctrinated with the fact they have to have the right answer. If they don't have the right answer, then they give up. And what I tell the girls is it's okay for you not to have the right answer. And it's okay if you don't get it on the first try because hopefully, and with hope, you will get it on the next or the third, or maybe it may be the fifth. But when you do actually conquer whatever it is you're doing, oh my goodness, that celebration is so much more than if you just nailed it on the first try. So true. So true. That And that process, right? Uh, hope theory tells us that it's the process towards our goal that really makes all the difference in the world, right? It's that learning. It's that overcoming and using the using those neural pathways to get to the solution that we're looking for. It mm-hmm. truly, the cliche that it's the journey, not the destination is absolutely the hard truth. Um, 100%. Yeah. And that's, and, you know, I feel like through that hands-on learning, you are 
are building confidence at the same time you are building towards their hopeful future. Um, which in that applied in, in that applied way, which is very, very cool. Well, we know children, well, really we know this about any human and you know this better than anybody because of your work with hope, but in particular with middle school girls, it, that sense of belonging is very important. And really across the board, no matter what age we are, we, we are a, a animal of tribe, an animal of wanting to be around other people in terms of being humans. So one of the things that is really important about working with kids and, and really, let me just say this, I use that same structure when I'm working with adults or with educators is finding that sense of belonging so that they can build their confidence. So once you figure out what, what they love and what they want to do, that's step one. Then they feel, then you create this environment where they can just be who they are and they feel like they're, be- I mean, they don't feel, they are belonging, but you know, that sense, that, un- that, that feeling of security comes with them being able to embrace what they love, not being judged for it, for being excited and then being around others that like the same things they do. So if they love fashion, we can totally geek out on all the fashion things, right? And same thing with my educators. I, I, you know, so many of them are so good at their particular area of expertise, science or English or math or, or history. Like, let's take that and let's take that passion and really, really leverage all those things that make you unique and, uh, and create that sense of belonging for you and how you can take that belonging and apply that to technology. Well, and isn't it true that once you, like, you will work harder, you will, you will apply yourself stronger when it feels like it matters to you. And so when you've created that space for them to identify what it is that matters to them, doesn't it make the teaching of the technical skill easier? (laughs) Yes. I I call it finding your tech genius, but you find, but the way you do that is by identifying your passion first. Finding your tech genius. Yes. Yeah. I mean, because here's the piece. Not everyone needs to be a programmer. We don't need a million programmers. We need programmers, right? (laughs) But we also need people that are really good at data, really good at building, really good at the digital piece. I mean, I would be very frank with you. Like, I stink at creating graphics. Like, I'm really bad at it. Right. So I need, I need one of my kiddos or I need, you know, an educator, whoever it is that will help me develop, has that creative eye, an art teacher. You know, that art teacher can give me the creative elements and I'm like, oh, let's slide that in with Canva or let's slide that in with a really cool platform where you can create from your creative pattern, but we're adding a digital component to it. It's just finding the right fit for you and then elevating that. The opportunities are really endless when you can look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I, we get stuck too much and like, you've got to do this or got to do that. And and, and particularly educators feel so much pressure. They have to follow all these protocols, and then their own self-worth gets left behind. Yeah, so you're not only connecting the passion with your kids, but you're also connecting the passion with the people that are teaching your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's face it, the, the ones that are working with our children are with them 90, you know, 80% of the day. I mean, there yeah. is a very large time that our children are spent with our educators. We, we need to uplift them, and we need to empower them to feel not only important, but confident. That's really where I think the, cl- the, the, the clinch is, is 
that confidence and the belonging. They feel confident in what they're going to do. They feel confident in how they're going to execute their knowledge and or facilitate their knowledge to the students and then receive some of that knowledge back. So that the children are too. amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is being a woman in technology. And, mm. you know, back in the 90s when you were turning light bulbs on and off, or I guess that was probably the 2000s maybe. Um, yeah, we, we, we'd breached in the 2000s by yeah. then. When you're but turning- barely. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're turning light bulbs on or moving the little turtle guy around, I remember doing that because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you and I are about the same age, um, was were you um one of the only one of the only girls or was did like how evolved was your career at that or uh, your industry at that time oh gravy that's a great question i'm trying to think in my classes by default in education there's usually more females but in my particular classes when i was working on my masters yes i was one of the few females in my group there were two others that were in my group that were working in that career and technical education field, but were not necessarily doing technology. They were doing music or art. So yeah, I mean, I think I, I might've been the only one actually, now that you asked me that. When I walked into teaching, this was an interesting fact. I can remember, I, I had put on my resume that I had uh, learned visualbasic.net. It's, I know, I mean, so good. This so like, so bring, bring back the 2000s. Um, Anyway, and it was hilarious. Like I went in to go interview for the job and I barely even sat down. She's like, you're hired. I said, what? What's happening? She's like, well, we need somebody to teach program. I'm like, oh, okay. Because I wasn't, like I, I just learned, I wasn't sure I was ready to teach it yet, you know? So to answer your question, I'm sort of going about this in a roundabout way. Yes, I have, it has usually been myself as the only programming teacher in on my hallway. And in any perspect, when I would go into any of our conferences or, or pieces that are around education, yeah, I'm usually the only female. And you work with girls in this field. Is do you have so from your lived experience as a technology teacher, as well as through the Dottie Rose Foundation, um, like why did you choose? to work with girls. Like, (laughs) you know, we hear about STEM, we hear about encouraging our girls to work in technology and things like that. Um, Is the needle moving? Is it as Mm -hmm. important as it was? Are, are, are girls just going into these fields more now? What does that look like? That's a great question. The reason why I started working with females was from my years of teaching, when I started teaching in 2003 to the time I left the classroom, and I was still at the school, but when I left being the, from leaving the classroom into an admin role, the number of females that were entering into my classes declined. Hmm. And that's a really interesting piece because there began to be more conversation around girls and this and that. So what I what I noticed was that what, by the time they would get to me, I was a high school teacher. So when we were looking at the numbers, there was two pieces that I, I noted. 
One is I taught at a high school that had academies and my academy was an information technology academy. The numbers of enrollment for the information technology academy were always the lowest. It had medical, engineering, and then IT. And then in medical was all these girls. I mean, ton, I mean, high female enrollment. Engineering was a little bit of a mix. And then IT was like the struggle bus, right? So I said, okay, so there's, there's a couple of things there. One, we're going to have to have a conversation about how information technology really drives every other field. So even though we're at the bottom, we're going to have to work our way back, you know, work our way through. So I started collaborating with our teachers that were in the medical academy and saying, okay, how can we work together and help have my students help your students, right? In whatever way. So that was one thing. And then the other piece that I really began to note was that when I started to ask the girls, you know, why aren't you taking my classes? You know, they just didn't have any idea about what they were about or why. So I thought, okay, so what are we going to do about that? So then I started a little bit of investigation. And what I realized was that in middle school, we were losing them. Elementary, they were excited. Middle, we were just losing them. They just didn't have opportunities. The classes were not set up for them to have success in, meaning there was just a, they were either watered down or they were boring. So I thought, you know, we got to fix this. And that's really what drove me because I knew that the female representation at the table for technology is so important because we're usually the first adopters of any around technology. And the other piece is you cannot have just one side developing technology if the other side's not being represented. So you could think about anything that phones, computers, watches, whatever that looks like, there needs to have both a male in thought process and a female or those that identify with, with either side. So that was why. I felt like there needed to be a place at the table and I also felt like we needed to have a conversation about how we were presenting technology and computer science to our females. The culture had presented it as a somebody with a hoodie over their head playing a video game or sitting in a dark room. And that's just further from the truth. That was a long-winded answer. Oh, but so good because the visual of the the guy in the hoodie in the basement eating Cheetos is mm-hmm. like totally what the pers- the incorrect perception of what it means to be in technology. And your point about how technology literally frames, encompasses everything we do, especially now, um, mm. you know, as, as time goes on, it's just more and more, more and more technology. Um, I fell into the technology, into a technology career 10 years ago. And back then, only 10 years ago, even back then we were computers and phones. That is what IT was known for is computers and phones. And yeah. Truly, we are the technology growing the flowers to feed the bees, which grow our food. You know, like it is that it is that micro and the impact of technology is at that level. And I don't think enough people recognize it. They don't. I I think part of it is because there's a level of abstraction Mm -hmm. where we are just using it and you don't even think about what goes into the actual process of, of making that, you know, I mean, even think about this, just just bring up the health field. I mean, the development of an EKG, right. You think about that, that system. I mean, 
there were engineers, technologists, software designers, all of that that went into developing that one piece of machinery from where, you know, where it started to where it is now. And that's sometimes where I think people just don't think about it. They just, they just use it or they just use their phone or they just use the remote control for the, the television. They don't think about the cool things that went into actually making that work. Mm-hmm. That's where my brain goes. I'm like, yeah, totally. Make that. Yeah. My, I was always the kid that was like, how do they make the still beams that go into that giant building? I I'm still am so enamored with how they build high rises. It's just, I mean, it's amazing. Like, how do they do that? I mean, I know that there's, I know there is a why, but I'm always, yeah. I'm always just thinking, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then who made the steel? Then who made the particles that make the steel? There's that whole lineage of, of pieces. Okay, I'm going down a rabbit hole, sorry. But it's so true. It, it just reinforces the point that technology is everywhere because you need a technologist. You need an engineer. You need those all the people to make sure that building doesn't fall over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I know. I'm telling you, I'm still so, I, I love it. I mean, you, know, you go way up and you feel the building swaying. Yeah. I'm just so intrigued. That's just, I'm just so intrigued by that. Totally. <laughs> I love it. Nerd out. Hashtag nerd out. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Please stay with us here, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Stay with us. We promise to bring it back. We, we promise back. to bring it back. All right. So... I feel like you're, you must see hope in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. there, when I ask you, where do you see hope lately? Is there a moment or a time that comes to mind? The year of 2020 was an interesting year. And I, and I, I say that because of the roller coaster of emotions. But in addition to that, I also saw a lot of hope and a lot of unity and a lot of support around helping one another. And I'm going to I'm going to say that because without having hope then and now even as we go into 2021, I don't know how else we will be able to make it through. Because I am so hopeful for what is to come in the next few months. I see the end in sight. But the other piece that I will say to you is, even amongst the pandemic, I still worked with teachers. I still worked with students. And I could see the hope in them. When we come back to school or when we do this, and that is really inspiring and the work that we were even able to do through the nonprofit and provide opportunities for the girls when they came in and you could see their spirits lifted when they just were able to connect with another human that was hope mm-hmm. that that was what gave me the drive to continue to get up every day so cool so cool and i can just like i just imagine those girls coming into your school coming into your programs with that eye to the future, with that expectation that they can do cool things and they're going to learn cool things and they're going to make cool connections. Uh, Yeah, that would be very hopeful. That would be very hopeful. And there's a hope that, you know, you asked me, and I didn't answer this a moment ago, about have I seen a difference in girls coming into the field or Mm -hmm. there being, and the answer to is yes. 
we still have a long way to go. And I, and that's, and it's going to take time. You're talking about, you know, decades of, of cultural influence, cultural influences that are going to take time for us to, to move. But do I see a difference and do I see momentum? Yes. And that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. There's a, these young women that we're, that we are coming in contact with. And even, and I'll say this too, about a lot of my young teachers that I get to work with, their passion and excitement around bridging the gaps between inequality about bringing technology into the classroom. It's very exciting and very hopeful. Mm-hmm. So it's, ugh. it gives me chills to hear you speak about it because I just, I have so, I have nieces and it gives me energy and, and hope for them that they get to live in a world where people like you are educating them and educating their teachers and educating their parents uh, to continue to make the world a better place and a future better than today. And that is, is the definition of hope. Um, this has been so good. Sharon, I so appreciate your insight and your enthusiasm and your conversation. Um, I want to learn from you. <laughs> and I know that you are making a huge impact on so many people. So thank you so much for being here and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the work you do. It's so important. It is. It has brought great joy to me in our conversations and learning more about how your work impacts. And I will be very honest with you. I have replayed some of the conversations that you and I have had in my mind when I've gotten down or Mm -hmm. when I've thought about why are we, you know, where's the silver lining? Where is the piece of this? So I appreciate you and your work. And I, I think what you're doing is fundamentally going to change how we start approaching the next 20 years Mm -hmm. and more. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, so much. I, I so appreciate hearing that to excellent conversations and more technology. I will talk to you again very soon, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. These episodes are a labor of love. Inspiring conversations with hopeful people make my heart happy. If you also love this episode, it would be amazing if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Five stars if you're into it. It's these reviews that encourage Apple to promote this podcast to their network. And the more people that listen, the more hope we can spread into the world. Don't forget to check out the show notes of this episode to find all the links to my guests, books, and other resources referenced in this episode. You'll also find the link back to my website where you will find additional support and resources for you, your team, and your community. I truly believe that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control. And hearing from these guests on these episodes, I know that even more hopeful future is totally possible. I'm always looking for inspirational guests, so if you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. You can find me on the contact form of my website at expertinhope.com or by email at lindsay at expertinhope.com. When I was a teenager and my sisters were leaving the house to go out for the night, I always made it a point to remind them to call me if they need me. It was my way to tell them that I cared and would always be there for them. I'd love you to know the same, so all of you listening out there, call me if you need me. Again, thank you for your love and support of this podcast, my work in hope, and your intentional focus on making your future better than today. After all, hope without action is just a wish.